0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 25, verses 2 through 42. This is a slightly modified version from what's in the bulletin. A man in Maon had a business in Carmel. He was a very rich man with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. The man's name was Nabal, and his, wife, his wife's name Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, a Calebite, was harsh and evil in his dealings. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, men instructing them, go up to Carmel, and when you come to Nabal, greet him in my name. Then say this, long life to you and peace to you, peace to your family and peace to all that is yours. I hear that you are shearing. When your shepherds were with us, we did not harass them, and nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. So let my young men find favor with you, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. Nabal asked them, who is David? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from their masters, Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, and my meat that I butchered for my shears and give them to these men? I don't know where they are from. David's young men retraced their steps. When they returned to him, they reported all these words. He said to his men, let each man strap on his sword. So each man strapped on the sword, and David also strapped on his sword. About 400 men followed David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of Nabal's young men informed Abigail, Nabal's wife, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he railed at them. The men treated us very well. When we were in the field, we weren't harassed, and nothing of ours was missing the whole time we were living with them. They were a wall around us, both day and night, the entire time we were with them herding the sheep. Now consider carefully what you should do, because there is certain to be trouble for our master and his entire family. He is such a worthless fool. Nobody can talk to him. Abigail hurried, taking 200 loaves of bread, two clay jars of wine, five butchered sheep, a bushel of roasted grain. 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she said to her male servants, go ahead of me, I will be right behind you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she rode the donkey down a mountain pass hidden from view, she saw David and his men coming toward her and met them. David had just said, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness for nothing. He was not missing anything, yet he paid me back evil for good. May God punish me and do so severely if I let any of his males survive until morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey and knelt knelt down with her face to the ground, paying homage to David. She knelt at his feet and said, this guilt is mine, my lord, but please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant, My Lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool, Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means fool, and folly is all he knows. I, your servant, didn't see my Lord's young men whom you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, it is the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and saving yourself by your own hand. May your enemies and those who intend to harm my Lord be like Nabal. Let this gift your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who followed my Lord. Please forgive your servant's offenses, for the Lord is certain to make an established house for my Lord, because he fights the Lord's battles. Throughout your life, may evil not be found in you. If someone is pursuing you and intends to take your life, the life of my Lord is bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies are slung out from the hollow of a sling. When the Lord does for my Lord all the good he promised, promised you and appoints you ruler over Israel, then this will not be a cause of grief or pangs of heart for my Lord because of needless bloodshed or my Lord saving himself. And when the Lord does good things for my Lord, may you remember me, your servant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. May your discernment be blessed, and may you be blessed. Today you have kept me from participating in bloodshed and saving myself by my own hand. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who prevented me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, Nabal wouldn't have had any males left until morning light. Then David accepted what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. See, I have heeded your voice and have accepted your request. Then Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was in his house holding a feast fit for a king. Nabal's heart was cheerful, and he was very drunk, so she didn't say anything to him until morning light. In the morning, when the wine was going out of Nabal, his wife told him about these events. His heart died, and he became a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal dead. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who championed my cause against Nabal's insults and restrained his servant from doing evil. The Lord brought Nabal's evil deeds back on his own head. Then David sent messengers to speak to Abigail, and so she became his wife. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you for reading that. Lori, let me pray for us now. Father, we ask that you would uh, open our hearts to receive the truths that you have for us from this passage. Lord, it's a long story, but it teaches us so much about you, your King. Help us to be open to that, to those truths. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Well, this is a, an all church Sunday, um, which means that uh, many of our Sunday schoolers are here with us in the crowd. And I think that it, it's providential that before I found out that was gonna be the case, I had already titled the sermon after a Sunday school song that I learned uh, when I was growing up. Um, it's, uh, uh, telling, it's teaching us about a, a sort of parable of Jesus, uh, talking about the distinction between a wise man and a foolish man. Maybe you've heard the song before. I actually wanna start by singing it, that's okay. Um, There's some hand motions that go along, so they're pretty easy to pick up, but it goes like this. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. But the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the the house on the sand went splat! (laughs) Um, I was looking it up yesterday, and apparently there's a couple of different versions for that ending. You know, the the house on the sand went crash, or the house on the sand um, fell flat. But I kind of like went splat because it's really a vivid description of the kind of house that tries to have this foundation on on this sandy soil. We sang that song. You know, all else is shifting sand. Uh, now Jesus uh, speaks these words at the close of his famous Sermon on the Mount as um, an illustration um, in order to describe two ways of responding to his authoritative teaching there's the way of the fool and there's the way of the wise and as I think about our story our long story that uh, my wife just read for us from 1st Samuel chapter 25 I really think that that image of the two ways the way of folly and the way of wisdom is really an apt description of what we're looking at in this story because we've got the way of nabal the fool the way of folly and we've got the way of abigail the wise woman and in both of these instances they're interacting about the authority of the king and how they're going to respond to that authority now um, just as in uh, jesus's parable The hope is that your house doesn't go splat. Um, In our story today, the hope for King David is that he would have a house that doesn't go splat, but that he would have a house that is established and firm through the ages. But this is what's at stake in his response to Nabal, in terms of how he responds to this person who has kind of scorned him and spurned him. Um, And if he hits back in kind, if he fights back against Nabal, then he acquires bloody hands and he throws in jeopardy this promise that he's been given, which Abigail reminds him about, that God is the one who who will build his firm and sure house. Now, the reason that I wanted to take us down this detour into an Old Testament story about David in the midst of our summer series is because the figure of David looms large throughout the New Testament. We've been in a sermon series on the Book of Romans uh, that Pastor Paul is walking us through, chapters six to eight. And in that section, the idea of Jesus as the, the Messiah, Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah. The idea of Jesus as the Messiah and the resurrected Lord is pivotal in his ability to save us. And so the Apostle Paul begins this letter to the Romans really calling attention to Jesus being the son who is descended from David Um, and then when we get to the passage we've been looking at chapter 7 there's this there's this pivotal moment where Paul exclaims his his uh, appreciation of God's salvation remember he says um, who will deliver me from this body of death and then he says it's only through um, it's only through Jesus the Messiah our Lord now it's precisely Jesus's fulfillment of the Davidic Messiah role that allows him to be the the Lord who saves us. Um, And even the gospels call attention to this. So the, the, the evangelist Matthew starts his gospel saying, you know Jesus, he's a son of David. And it's his role as son of David that then enables him to carry out the mission of saving his people from their sins. So this is why I wanted us to think about David today. Um, And so I was reading through the many stories we have about David in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and I I was struck by this this little chapter, not little, not little, by this this small incident tucked in to chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. Um, And what's happening in this passage that you need to know the context is, David is running away from Saul um, because we've already seen three separate introductions to David um, as the family runt as the soothing harpist and as the zealous warrior but then he rises to prominence in uh, under Saul the you know the first king under his military regime and you know he's winning all these victories and Saul gets jealous and so then Saul begins to just hunt David down. David has to flee into exile. And he's just, th- th- there's a whole section of 1 Samuel where Saul is just chasing David around the wilderness. And it's just this back and forth forth jostling because they both share a joint anointing by God. And so Saul is hunting David down because he doesn't like that. Um, and so this idea of David as the, the king, but one who's chased down is, is, Absolutely important because David has been picked out by God Providentially and paradoxically to be the second king of Israel to replace Saul But much of the second book uh, the, the second half of first Samuel um, as I said, there's that scene in which there's this kind of uh, Framework in which Saul is hunting David David has the promise But the real question is how is he going to pursue that promise that he's been given? because Um, there are so many hurdles that need to be overcome in order for David to be the king and so the question is will David reach out and grab those promises for himself will he make it happen on his own or instead will he wait on God's good timing and so there's this right around we're reading chapter 25 well in chapter 24 and in chapter 26 there's two times in which David has an opportunity to kill Saul Uh, there's one where he's in the cave remember it's so 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 they're hiding in the cave and Saul goes in to relieve himself (laughs) and David slices off a little bit of his his um, uh, uh, shirt but doesn't kill him of course and he actually has to hold his men back from killing him. he says do not lift your hand against the Lord's anointed the end uh, after our uh, our passage in chapter 26 there's another moment where Saul and all of his men are asleep David goes on this crazy venture to go and sneak up in the middle of the night and he's standing right beside Saul but he doesn't kill him he just steals away his armor and then shows it off the next day saying see I could have killed you but I didn't so these are moments where where David is refraining from taking hold of the kingship for himself but here in our passage today we have this moment where it has nothing to do with Saul seemingly and yet the advice that David is given and needs to heed by Abigail is don't pay back An evil for an evil and so that idea of what will David do this is this is so important now as we work through the story we're gonna just focus on these three characters David Nabal and Abigail now with a, a story that puts forth mr. fool as one of its characters Um, you almost get the uh, get the idea that we're sort of in an allegory on par with with uh, Bunyan's pilgrim's progress now Nabal obviously represents the way of folly he's gonna be showing us the way that we should avoid Abigail on the other hand she's the the wise woman she's the one who shows us the way of wisdom and in doing so she's sort of a contrast or a foil to her husband Um, she's showing us the way that we should avoid and she's also a voice of wisdom to David himself Um, And finally, after looking at those two ways, we're going to look at David showing us the way of the king. But What's what's interesting about this story, uh, and I think this is important, is that we don't idolize David. In this moment, David is still being formed. He's still malleable. He's sort of caught between these two ways, the way of wisdom, the way of folly. And the question is, which way is he going to go? And in our story, we see him dabble in both. He's sort of getting this tug-of-war back and forth between the two and so when we look at David he's not exactly gonna show us the way of the perfect king because he doesn't always fit that but he will give us a pointer in that direction so three characters two ways with a man caught between Um, and what we're going to see is that as we look at David in the final bit in all of this David is gonna reveal for us the ultimate way of the king it's a path that David manages to hold on to in this story with abigail but then later on as we all know with bathsheba he falls woefully short of now this shows us the need for a better son of david to arise one who will ultimately and eternally join with wisdom and display god's rule for his people so let's first look at the way of folly the way of, that nabal shows us nabal is a man of extremes The story starts off with showing Nabal as not just rich, but very rich. And then, as we saw at the end, it closes with Nabal being very drunk. Just like the classic fool from Proverbs, Nabal cannot manage moderation. Now, a couple of things about Nabal stand out to me from the passage. The introduction, as I said, presents him as rich. It presents him as a wealthy landowner with so many sheep and so many goats and all this stuff And in fact the 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 way that the narrator opens up the passage telling us what Nabal has rather than what he's like I think that's an indication that this is the kind of man who cares only about his stuff he cares only about his possessions and in fact when it does get to a description of him remember it calls him hard or cruel or harsh what we see is the idea of a person who cares so much about his possessions that he's willing to run roughshod over other people in order to acquire more stuff and hold on to the stuff once he get gets it. Um, I, I love the bit when he's responding, rebuffing David, uh, David's men, and he says, "Should I take my sheep and my goats and my meat, which I have?" You know, kind of this emphasis on the stuff that belongs to him. You know, in some ways I think about Nabal as much like the rich fool that Jesus describes in his parable who thinks that his life consists in the abundance of his possessions. Remember in that story though, Jesus says, there's a rude awakening coming to this fool because God says to him, fool, this very night, your life is demanded of you. So Nabal's greedy, way of folly, but that's not all moving beyond the greed, there's also some moral, he's, he's morally reprehensible as well. He's evil. The second description of him is that he is evil or is wicked in what he did. Um, now, the depiction of Nabal, the fool, as evil stands in contrast, as I said, almost like a fo- foil to his wife, who is presented as good of insight. And notice that the bad good or evil good contrast kind of goes in tandem with the wise fool contrast so these two contrasts are working together and they all play out on that key moment where David is told he's not to return evil for Nabal's evil but instead should return good for the evil so there's good evil contrast wisdom folly contrast all running through it now there's one more description of Nabal that I really want to kind of camp out on for a few minutes so bear with me on this Our translation in verses 17 and 25, both in the servant talking with Abigail and then in Abigail talking with David, um, they talk about Nabal as a worthless fool. And my wife was reading over the translation on the drive here. And she's like, that's kind of funny that they're like talking. I mean, it's all- it seems like bickering, right? Like that the wife is like, oh, my worthless fool husband. Now, th- th- that's actually a translation of-, of a phrase that I wanted to call our attention to. In some ways, Pastor Eric always teaches our kids words. Um, so I'll teach you a word from Hebrew. I don't know. It's called Belial. Can you say Belial? Belial. belial. Um, and so what it says is that Nabal is a son of Belial. Now, it's sort of a phrase, an idiom, that really just means a worthless fool, but there's, there's really important resonances or echoes of that phrase throughout scripture. I want us to take us a few, through a few of them. First of all, Abigail talks about her husband as a son of Belial, and in doing so, she pairs herself up with the other really prominent woman in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, I actually missed it a few months back, but I think Eric Chappelle preached to us about uh, Hannah's prayer at the beginning of 1 Samuel, remember she, she's praying. And so the, the, the Belial connection comes up in this way. Oh, I did wanna say that those two, prayer, those two um, women really serve as bookends to this book of the Bible. And Abigail's speech in our passage is the longest speech ever given by a woman in the Bible we just read it, we heard it read today by, by a woman, that's great, um, that this is the longest speech by a woman. Abby, uh, Hannah's prayer, I don't know if it's the longest prayer song, but it's another l- lengthy voice of a woman speaking these things of, of, of uh, piercing challenge and prophetic hope, moments of, of truth to God's people. So I love that connection, but here's the other thing. If you remember back to Hannah, she, is confront uh, not confronted but she's sort of um uh, a lot remember eli says she's just drunk over there and she has this very dignified response no please your maidservant is not drunk i was praying do not think badly of your maidservant, thinking that she's a daughter of belial that's what um hannah says in response to eli and the telling contrast is that the passage goes on to say that eli's grown sons are sons of belial because remember, they're sort of robbing from people and stealing from people. And so, Abigail, in facing up against her husband, a son of Belial, kind of is in pair and in tandem with Hannah, who's facing up against sons of Belial. Now, this, this Belial connection goes on because, um, because David is not the only person to be confronted with a uh, kind of son of Belial type. Um, and we also see the first king, King Saul, Uh, right when he's uh, anointed to to be the king of Israel, there are people that say, nah, we don't want him to be king. Those people are called sons of Belial. After David's uh, kingship passes and it moves on to the future, again, there's a king of Israel that sort of comes to the throne and wouldn't you guess it, a son of Belial named Sheba arises saying, we don't want this guy to be king over us. And so notice how this simple phrase a worthless fool seems to sort of be wrapped up in this connection of people who say no to the rightful king it reminds me of Jesus's parable of the wicked tenants who also are presented with a rightful king over them and they say we don't want this man to be king over us and so they in that story kill the king's son in order to acquire the kingdom for themselves and so Nabal is presented as this um, kind of uh, pushing back against the rightful authority of the king one final thing to say here on this is that um, Moses also uh, way back before there was ever a king of Israel warned the people of God against sons of Belial saying that they were gonna lead God's people into idolatry now Nabal does not sort of do anything with idolatry But in spurning the king, in spurning God's representative, he's actually spurning God himself, which is what idolatry is all about. And so this is what we're dealing with in the person of Nabal. The idea, the way of folly that he shows us is an activity or a posture of the fool that despises God's king. Now to say it as bluntly as that, in some ways kind of belies the fact that in, in many ways, many of us are prone to this very same folly, to say no to the rightful kingship of God over our lives. Now Nabal, maybe there's, there's a way to read him sympathetically. Remember his statement to say, I don't know who, you, who this man is, I don't know who these men are, There's a way in which David is a hidden king at this moment. There's not been a public kind of ceremony setting him up as king. So there's a way in which maybe Nabal has, you know, just kind of overlooked that fact. Um, and, And yet, and yet I want us to learn from this, particularly because there may be some of us sitting here today who Uh, are running into the same issue with Jesus who we haven't yet given ourselves over to become Christians and so therefore we haven't ever placed Jesus in an authoritative place over our lives so we too might ask who's he to have a claim over me what we should learn from this story is that what has happened for Nabal is that he's placed so much of his focus and his emphasis on his stuff on his possessions that he's missed out really on an opportunity To join with the rising king he's kind of closed his eyes to those moments of of sort of uh, hints if you will of the rising king which Abigail does pick up on and so she does join with that King Nabal spurns him and therefore as we see at the end of the story gets the fruit of that he is punished he is killed And so for those of us who are here today, maybe in a situation like that, we really are also facing a similar situation where we've got the Jesus, who is the rightful king, knocking at our door and we're faced with this question, will we send the true king packing like Nabal did? Or will we take this as an opportunity, as an invitation to join with the true king in his mission to rule his people well? And, And that's not just a question for those who Uh, have you know who are are yet to say yes to Jesus even for those of us in the room who have said yes to Jesus are there ways in which really we've only paid lip service to the king where we've said you know he's our Lord but there's still stuff in our things in our lives that are our own that belong to us that we don't we're not ready to to sort of give Jesus full access to what we possess Um, for us as we'll see in a minute abigail is ready to give a veritable feast fit for a king to david not seeing resources handed over to him as wasted but rather as his rightful dues and as a way to show her participation in david and his mission and the same opportunity is here for us with christ to to place our resources at christ's disposal so that he can use them for his mission and we can be brought up into that. So that's, as I see it, the first way of folly shown to us by Nabal, the idea of the fool spurns the king. Now there's one more aspect of the way of folly as I see it playing out in the passage, Uh, and this is why I had my wife read the modified translation, and I apologize for that, but I don't know know if you saw this, um, a, a variation that showed up three times in the passage. It was about avenging yourself and what my wife was reading was saving yourself. Now, uh, maybe saving is a little more literal, avenging is a little bit more of the gist of the passage. And I'm not too worried about it, but I was just, as I said, so struck by that phrase repeated three times that David, in killing Nabal, or we're trying to, was attempting to save himself by his own hand. It just, it really struck me. And so I'm thinking about this now remember in the passage David is he's on the run he's in exile um, uh, a, a couple of people have asked me about that that starter quote in the reflections by the rapper Kendrick Lamar what was in my head there is David is in the wilderness and he's not idle while he's out there he's actually gathering to himself A whole band of misfits and castaways and he's serving as their ruler and as their king almost like a band of merry men with Robin Hood who are out there trying to do good for God's people you know if not robbing the rich to give to the poor at least to preserve to be a wall around the poor among God's community protecting them from other raiders and things and so David is out there sort of the king of the 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 forsaken and the castaways Um, now I was just up in the wilderness with my with my family and I know what it takes to, to pack all the food you have to pack everything be very careful and it's it's difficult to get food in the wilderness David's in the wilderness they have no food so you always see him begging he's always begging people for food he's the the earlier in the in the uh, book of first Samuel he asked to beg for food from the priests of Nob they give it to him in fact famously they give him the holy bread and they eat it. Now they pay for it with their lives because Saul finds out you've been helping David. Whoosh! Kills all. I don't know how many. It's like it's like 40 priests. Kills them. Um, now David has to go around begging. So here's a situation where he's begging from Nabal. Now, um, in the the but but as we saw, Nabal says no. I'm not going to give you anything. Okay. In this moment, David shifts from being A deferential beggar to a vicious warlord Um, and notice how he's so flowery and oh tell them oh please may your servant give to your son David this food Nabal says no David says all right boys get your swords that's it just short little phrase sword 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 David wants to fight back and in many ways he has devolved into the way of the fool so what we've got here is two fools ready to collide unless the wisdom can intervene now before we go into wisdom's intervention I just want to real quick sit with this moment what does it look like for us to try to save ourselves with our own hand because you know what maybe we don't have this sort of divine promise of messianic identity or anything uh, but we do have We do have this idea that we have been promised that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So we have a choice. Are we gonna place our trust in the God who saves? Or are we gonna attempt to earn salvation by our own hands? I sang that Sunday school song earlier, another song that comes to my mind, which we sang at VBS a few years back, Uh, is Paul's reminder that we not try to save ourselves. It goes like this, for it is by grace, should I sing it for the kids who are, you know it, I think you guys know it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, it is a gift of God. So Paul reminds us, this story reminds us, that we are not to save ourselves by our own hand, Um, and this is what we see Jesus faced with in a temptation twice actually the the devil another arch fool comes to Jesus saying jump off the temple and make God save you force his hand Jesus says no and then at the end of his life Jesus is tempted again to, to not go to his death at the cross he does and remember those words on the cross of mocking to him saying he saved himself uh, he he saved others can't he, he can't save himself now of course we all know the issue is not that he couldn't save himself but that he chose not to save himself this is what Jesus has done for us in this case insofar as Jesus is the true king whereas David is merely a pointer it's not so much as I said the issue of Jesus being able to save himself but of choosing not to save himself Following the way of wisdom and rejecting the way of folly Jesus accomplishes does not Accomplish he refuses to accomplish his own salvation and so he places his trust in his father who will not abandon him to the grave But will save him from out of the cords of death and so may we with Jesus say no to the path of folly that lures us into working for our own salvation maybe we learn to place our trust our salvation even our very lives into the hands of God who alone can accomplish sure and lasting salvation for us now I said a lot about the way of folly I promise I won't say as much about the way of wisdom because Abigail is the polar opposite of her husband and so in many ways when we look at the way of fo- of wisdom We can just say it's not the way of folly. So I won't go quite as in-depth here, but as we shift over to Abigail's story, what we've seen is that the way of folly is twofold, to say no to the rightful king and to try to save yourself. Now, for Abigail, she does the exact opposite. She honors the rightful king and she calls the king back to himself, back into the way of wisdom that he has rejected and foregone. So Abigail in our story works like lightning indeed everything about her posture is conveying an attitude of respect to David because she's found out how her husband has railed against him um, she successfully defuses the situation um, the, 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 the picture in your story I, as I, I didn't realize this but the apparently the um, the Renaissance painters had a heyday with our story because they love that romantic moment where Abigail is standing there in front of 400 men, David's got his sword drawn, and she just is like, she just stands up to it, and she stops him in his tracks, and it works. She calls him back to wisdom. So then she gives her long speech, which itself is a beautiful and wonderful, uh, wonderfully crafted uh, piece of prose. Unlike Nabal, who seemed to throw in his lot with the old king and was distrustful of David, Abigail in her wisdom casts herself upon David David's rising prospects um, now her style in communicating much like the prophets around her it merges request with promise so she does a little bit of asking and a little bit of prophesying or forth she requests that David forgive that he lay down his weapons, that he put away his sword, as Jesus requested his disciples to do when they tried to come to his defense. She asked him to put away his sword. She also requests him not to set his heart upon the, the offense that Nabal has given him. Now, it's a small thing that she says, don't set your heart upon it. But as we know, broadly speaking, David's heart is a matter of a lot of focus in the, in the Bible as a whole. Remember, David's the man after God's own heart. The heart of the king must be vigilantly guarded Abigail's now having to coach David into guarding his heart Um, and so she tells him don't let it sink into your heart because later on if you do if you pull your sword and attack Nabal your heart's gonna be tainted that's not gonna serve well for you as the king to be the king after God's own heart so Abigail's speech along with its eloquent requests it's also full of promise in she can envision this is great abigail comes up and she can envision for david a grander future than what he can see for himself Um, abigail speaks representatively on behalf of god revealing the divine plans surrounding david's activity and his overall career she declares the lord has restrained you from entering into blood guilt blood guilt and the lord is fighting uh, david's battles so her scope moves beyond i mean david's so caught up in the moment i just want to kill this guy he's hurt me i just want to kill him and Abigail says remember who you are remember you're the king you've got this long-lasting dynasty to to to, to uphold and she actually kind of preempts what the big promise given to david by nathan you know maybe it's in second samuel 7 so however many years later that is when he gets to jerusalem she says the same thing early on um saying you're gonna have a house built by god that will never be taken down so we thus see in the wise counsel of Abigail a reference forward to what has been divinely promised to David she's essentially asking him to act in accord with who he is as king and who he will be she reminds him that he's God's anointed and in so doing she calls him to a higher standard of conduct A wise attitude of benevolence which can kind of let things go as opposed to retaliating in violence I love how Eugene Peterson puts uh, it, it puts it when he describes Abigail in this moment he says he sees Abigail solitary and beautiful kneeling in the path stopping David in his tracks at this moment David is full of himself and empty of God The emptiness is visible as ugliness Abigail recovers God for David David is earlier described as beautiful though there's no sign of it here but beautiful Abigail restores the beauty of God to David his original identity I love that focus from Eugene Peterson on the way that the king should be beautiful but right now he's ugly And so it takes this beautiful representative of wisdom, wise and beautiful, to come alongside and bring him back. The wise woman Abigail is calling David back to the path of wisdom. There's a famous story um, that this makes me think of, when you think about this, the wise and beautiful person who calls someone back. There's a story story I think about, and it's it's in your reflection quotes a bit of it. It's a story about St. George and the dragon. Edmund Spencer weaves this into his epic poem about um, uh, the fairy queen and in the in the kind of lengthy bit of the narrative what we get is this bumbling novice knight coming along and uh, he has no experience he's kind of you know a, a fool but he gets linked up with this beautiful lady Una who is the representative of wisdom for him and so as long as he's with her He's golden he's ready to go he fights his first battle she's at his side and he totally wins but what happens is that he quickly and foolishly separates from her he, he goes to off to join uh, this lady duessa, a duplicitous woman who is aping the beauty of Una and so he joins with her and as you can imagine everything starts to go wrong everything goes wrong and I don't need to go into that you can read the story but once he rejoins with Una Una tracks him down and once they get back together then he's back on the right track and she sort of calls him back to himself. And I love the description right at that moment where they come back together that is in the bulletin. I'll read it for us now. Sorry for the old English kind of uh, storytelling wordage, but here we go. I, me, how many perils do unfold the righteous man to make him daily fall, were not that heavenly grace doth him uphold and steadfast truth acquite him out of all. Her love is firm, her care continual. So oft as he through his own foolish pride or weakness is to sinful bands made thrall. Else should this Red Cross Knight in bands have died for whose deliverance she, this prince, doth thither guide. Like David, like Red Cross Knight, or even like our forebear Adam before them, we too get caught up in our own foolish pride making ourselves slaves to this way of folly, and so cutting ourselves off from the full life that God has created us to live. We get petty, wanting to pay back wrongs committed against us. We get headstrong, wanting to go our own way and carve our own path, to work salvation with our own hands. And were it not for God's intervening grace in our lives, we would receive the fruit of such folly, like happened, what happened in a ball, death, we too would be struck by the heavy and retributive hand of God, as uh, is often said, but for the grace of God, there go I. Or as C.S. Lewis puts it in one of his poems, nearly they fell who stood. This idea of kind of only being saved by the grace of God is one that really grips me from the passage. For David, God sent Abigail to serve as a representative of his grace and promise for the young king, calling him back to himself, And maybe God is using people in your lives like Abigail for David, people that are calling you back in moments of decision making where you're about to do something that is so warped by your retaliation, your anger towards what has been done to you. And they can speak a moment of grace to you saying, is this really me? Is this who I was called to be? This is the picture of grace that we see in our passage. And this is one that God gives to us for those who are in Christ, God calls us back to leave the far away slung off places to come back again into the bundle of the living with the Lord. And so as I promised, I'm gonna close really briefly now looking at the way of the king. Um, We've seen the way of the fool who despises the king, seeks to save themselves. We've seen the way of the wise who honors the king and who invites people back into the way of wisdom. And now we've seen David in the middle of this tug of war. Two paths, uh, of two paths, will the foolish and wicked action he suffered at the hands of Nabal cause him to veer from the good path he was on and turn rogue, abandoning God's clear guidance and so making his own way to become king? Or will he heed Abigail's wise advice and so come back to himself? Well, thankfully, David heeds Abigail. And at this time in his life he stays true to his task as being the king after God's own heart but David's gonna face temptation again with Bathsheba and in that moment he cuts himself off from every wise counsel around him and so he in that story becomes the Nabal he becomes the one who rejects God follows his own path and therefore reaps the curse that Abigail places on those who are like Nabal that God would destroy them and in that moment David he crashes down that is to say here in 1 Samuel 25 David manages to display the way of the king but just barely he has to be he has to be coached into it and this royal way of acting is one that shows us the king refraining from working vengeance for himself but instead waiting patiently on God's good timing trusting that the house established by the Lord Is the only lasting house whereas the one that you try to build with your own hands that's the one that's gonna go splat although David's larger character arc in scripture shows us that he ultimately fails to uphold this good way of the king at least in his willingness to listen and heed Abigail's advice he opens up for us a window into what the true king will look like when he comes a true king does not carry a big sword but instead a simple sling and five small stones. A true king does not seek to save himself, but instead gives his life on behalf of those he leads. A true king does not grasp after what's rightfully his, but instead willingly empties himself so that he can serve the needy and the broken. David at times rose to this picture, at times not. But the son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ, went precisely along this royal pathway, not repaying in kind the scorn and abuse that he was given by his persecutors, but instead offering forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is still the posture of our King Jesus takes. Even now, when we spurn him and act as if he's not our rightful king, he doesn't jump for his sword but moves to call us back to his side, to woo us to his wise counsel, to invite us to come back again into alignment with his just and good kingdom. In striking contrast with our parable from this morning, our story from this morning, the true King Jesus has been scorned, but rather than retaliating by taking the life of his enemy, as Nabal, we find, struck dead at the end, the King Jesus himself dies, so that we, his enemies, might live and find life in him but the glory of the gospel as we all know is that jesus was not left in death but was raised having voluntarily withheld his hand from saving himself the king experienced salvation at the hands of his father jesus was vindicated by god and now king jesus calls us we who are once enemies to join him in wisely ruling the world at his side like david before him and like Lady Wisdom in the book of Proverbs, who bids come to her all who are simple and without sense, so too the wise Jesus invites us in all our brokenness and waywardness to come to him. He sends out his messengers intentionally to the highways and the byways to seek us out, to welcome in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, so that we can enjoin him in a feast fit for a king and so taste of his goodness and enjoy his life forever. Let's pray. Father, your wisdom is from of old. With wisdom you established the foundations of our world and in wisdom alone can we find the life that you choose to give us. May we, like Abigail, wisely welcome our king giving to Jesus all our allegiance, and placing in him all our trust and hope for salvation. We rejoice that he's gracious and compassionate. And as we come to him, may we find the richness and goodness of participating in his mission and rule over our world. And we ask this through the name of Jesus, the Messiah, our King, amen.